0: Uh, it's called United and Fighting Together. Sit up with me please, come on. United and Fighting Together. I would, t- I would call it this, fighting on the same side or fighting on the same team. What, what would it be like if you did not have anybody you were fighting against but you were fighting with? What if all the people in your family decided that we weren't going to turn our guns on each other but we were going to turn our guns on our enemies? We were not going to allow ourselves to be in any kind of conflict with people around us. How does that change the world of your family if you make that decision? We are committed to each other. Fighting together is one of the strongest decisions a family can make. We're not going going to do that. The world can learn a lot from that example. The world around us were focused on fighting together and not fighting against each other. No wars, no conflict. Let's go back in your family and let's pretend there was never um, any unhealthy, violent um, wars or civil wars in your family. Imagine what that would be like if you and your dad got along, if you and your mom got along. No, no, no insults that you still carry with you, no wounds. Imagine. What would it feel like to go to work and get along with everybody? How much more could you accomplish for the company? How much more money could you make? If you have a large family, imagine a family that said, we're not going to let you suffer. We're going to all pool our resources to help you. You can all come live with us. We'll all share a house until we can get houses for everybody what would it be like to be in that kind of family or friendship what would it be like that's what unity feels like that's called striking the ground together where you decide we're going to build together get to know each other and not just pretend we like each other it's nothing like having people that you love Yep, who's that person, when they come around you, they they light up your life. They bring such joy to you. Uh, I hate to admit this, I really do, but I have a cousin like that. And uh, she thinks she's my favorite cousin. She's a little bit confused, I told her she's not. (laughs) But (laughs) she keeps telling me that she is. And she'll call me and I'll say, what do you want? to talk to you. Well, I'm a busy man, I have a lot in my life. Not too much for me, and she's persistent. You know, and for some reason, that persistence, there's a, there's a, there's a family connection that you just can't erase. There, there's something about, um, about that that's just really powerful. Um, can I go a little further and tell another story? Uh-huh. Yeah, she, she, um, she likes to go out with just the two of us. And I told her, we can't do that. You know why, right? You see me with some woman, what are you going to say? Who's that? <laughs> that ain't Diane. <laughs> yeah, with this woman. I saw him. Let's pastor, get your camera out. <laughs> video, video, <Yeah>. video. <laughs> she doesn't care. <laughs> she doesn't care. Let. She said, I'm your cousin, first cousin, I don't care what they say. Let's go out, let's do something. I said, no, we're not going anywhere. You understand that? We're not going anywhere. So she came in town, to the other day. said, she says, hey, I'm in town, let's go. I said, no, you can come to the house. You know, I'm not going out with you. So, so <laughs> I said, if you're ugly, said, no, 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 I didn't say that. But <laughs> she's really cute, she is, she's cute, and, she's, and she's, she's funky and fiery and all kind of stuff. And so she, she, um, one time, I, one time she taught me into it. So we went out of town. She, she lives, you know, not far from here, but she's out of town, so I said, okay, I'll come. And I have family in the area, so I said, okay, I'll, I'll go. I kid you not, time I get in town, and she's in the car. I'm just driving the girl to, I think we're going to see a family member, and who pulls up? Somebody who knows me from TV. <laughs> hey, Pastor Rick. <laughs> I said, "This is my cousin." I tried. This is my cousin. He said, "Mm-hmm." <laughs> his Cousin, his cousins with him. It is my cousin. She's cracking up. She thinks it's hilarious. So then she says, this, "She said, listen, 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 listen. I, I have to stop by my office." So I said, "Okay. I'm not coming in to your office because everybody in the office will probably recognize me. No, me, i I'm sorry. It's my life." So I said, "Listen. Here's what we'll do. Because we're on the way to a family member's house. Where are we going?" That's what we're doing. We're supposed to be going to a family member's house. We're not supposed to be stopping and doing all this side road stuff because people might misunderstand what's happening. So she says, I need to stop by my office. So I stop by her office. And she goes in there and bumps her head. Yes, she does. And gets a gash in her face. Oh, this is not funny because now she needs to go to the emergency room (laughs) with me. So we go to the emergency room, and you know, she's bleeding and she's having a ball. She's, she's, this is a person who's bleeding. I think you should be quiet when you're bleeding. But she's talking to me when she's bleeding, and she says, I'm going to tell everybody you did it. <laughs> oh, this is a bad person, people, I'm telling you. But what do you feel when I describe her? Unity. What do you feel? Family. Who's the person in your life that makes you feel that way? The person that has something that connects you in a way that's different. And I have a number of family members like that, but that she's special. And I think it's really important for you to understand. I have to say that because the rest of them are listening. You know, but it's true. <laughs> but it is true. I do have some great family members. But I want you to see the power of unity. It makes you laugh, it makes you feel comfortable. It takes you out of your official title and whoever you think you are, it's that place that you want to be. I have a big question for you today. Big question is, how would your life change? And how many new options would you have if you worked together instead of fighting each other? What would happen if you could connect with a family member and have a close relationship? Jesus told us, when you do that, something fantastic happens. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. This is from last week, but this is our main text for the month, and I want you to hear what he says. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree, not one, not one, very important, two of you agree, on earth concerning anything that they ask, notice, they ask. It's not just you asking for your preference. You've come to an agreement, you had a meeting, and you came to an agreement and said, we hereby ask for this. When they ask, it will be done for them. When they ask for vacation time, when they ask to be off, when they ask for finances, when they, when they ask for peace in the house, when they ask, when they ask, not just you, when they ask, it shall be done by my Father in heaven. I love this, for where two or three are gathered together, big word, together, he said, in my name, I am where? Yeah. There, get your finger ready, hold your finger up, please. Work with the preacher, ready? Hands in the air, please, this hand signal time. Say there. Whenever two gather together, I am there. If there is your finances, if there is a family issue, the children, wherever you get together, he's there. Career move, business opportunities, there, he's there because you're together. The issue is division. This is you're not working together, and so it doesn't work well. He says, I don't, I don't participate in division. God is not the author of confusion. He never participates. First Corinthians 14 talks about that. He doesn't participate in division. He doesn't participate. So whenever your family is in all these, in, in your career, in your job, in your business, all this chaos, he's not present. He's not there. I want him to come and be there with me. That means we need to unite but a lot of reasons, a lot of times that's hard. It's hard to get people to work together, and I wanna give you, if I can, five ways to improve working together. I said this is from last week, part one, in our first study, you can get the, go online or you can listen to the tape, but listen to this, uh, and you can tell how old I am. I said tape, right? You heard that? Uh (laughs) (laughs) Five ways to improve working together, you ready? Number one, communicate openly. Say that with me, please, come on. Openly and honestly, now what I've done is I've cheated you because I didn't put verse 15 in the notes, okay? I started with verse 19. Verse 19, the verse just said, you know, when you're there in, in unity, I'm there. Verse 15 puts it in context because verse 15 explains why he said this. He was talking in the context about strife and division and people that had a problem being unified. He says this, I'm reading for you now. This is in um, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. He says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone, two things. He says, communicate openly and honestly, tell the person if they've done something to offend you, don't just sit on it. Now, there's a way to do that, you can do it in a way that's ugly and it doesn't work, but tell a person, help a person know. I mean, sometimes people don't know. They they ought to know, how should they know? I'm so amazed at my ignorance and how many times I just don't know. So communicate openly and honestly. Say everything, with me, please, come on. Communicate yes. openly and honestly. Some of, you, some of you don't like to rock the boat and that's why your boat is sinking. Just as gracefully as you can, the Bible says speak the truth in love. It would just really be helpful if you didn't say those words to me. It's those, just those words for, for reasons that Maybe I don't even understand. There's some things that just don't work for me. Then communicate, secondly, in a non-threatening private way, in a non-threatening private way. Don't embarrass people. (laughs) I don't know why people do that. You know, I I see this a lot with parents who introduce their children by their faults. This is my failing son. Do you think that helps? Do do you really think that helps? Mom, you have to be careful when you get frustrated You'll do that. You know, hey, here's is my son who's flunking out. You know I mean, don't don't introduce people by their failures. Don't don't communicate in a threatening, embarrassing way. Do it in private. Try to be as as sensitive as you can. Sometimes you get stuck and things happen in public, you can't avoid it, but try to make that a a way you want to communicate, especially with people that have offended you. Thirdly, communicate, watch this now, with help if trying alone does not work. Get help if trying alone doesn't work. He said this. He said, uh, if, uh, in verse, verse 16, verse 15, brother, if, if a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother, verse 16. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more. Get some help. Go get somebody and let them help you. It's so, it's so easy to get stuck in this, and I say it often because I want you to hear me. My business, my world, my life, my, 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 mine. And, you're, and you're, you're making this assumption that it's smart to just fight alone, and, and it's not working. How do you know it's not working? Because you've tried it once, twice, three times, four times, five times. It's not working. So if it's not working, pause and say, hey, this is, this is not working. I wish I had asked for help in some areas of my life a long time ago. I, I make a point to help pastors. I really my wife will tell you, go out of my way to, to help them because I know that some of them need more help than they want to admit. They're struggling, they're trying, they're even putting the sermons together. It's a bear all the time. You know, it's like, help me God. And that's why a lot of times you just fill in preaching. You know what that's like, right? You get a Bible verse like this one, and you say, let's see here on Verse 17. If he refuses, you ever refuse? Uh, I refused. Uh, you know people refuse. And you just talk about refusing for five minutes. That's five minutes gone. Uh, to hear. You don't hear. See, I don't hear. Some people don't hear. Hear. You know, hearing. and other, somebody didn't hear. You are not preaching. <laughs> them. You know them. I know them, too. Them. Yes. Amen. Say amen. You're with me? Stay in the spirit now, church. I know this is deep. No, you know this is lost. <laughs> You don't, you don't want to ask for help. You don't want to ask for help. So we struggle. Sometimes you should take your children to your, to your parents' house and, and, and drop them off. Some of you say, really? Yeah, because you're about to kill them. <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. You need to go sit down and say, Mom and Dad, listen, listen, listen. I am, I am, I am not doing well with these little people. I need you to give me some guidance. Or are, are, are somebody that's doing better than you. Show me how to manage my money. Show me how to get along with people. Show me why am I in strife with people. You've been in strife on every job you've been on. Everybody, why? Can you say this with me, please? Say, help me. Help me. See, you can't even say it. Enter church before God, come on, say, help me. There's something about allowing that to happen. I love the the way he says this. Jesus says, communicate openly and honestly. Secondly, communicate with a non-threatening, private way if possible. Ask for help when when doing it alone doesn't work. And number four, communicate, but don't get stuck with people who refuse to go forward. There's something about learning that some people are going to be stuck. They're never going to change. And in verse 16, he says this, if he will not hear you, take with you one or two or more witnesses. Verse 17, if he refuses to hear them, tell us to the church. Verse 17 says, but if he refuses to even hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. If the person will not change, understand there are some people who refuse to change, and you have to say, okay, I can't get stuck here with you. That's one of the hardest things in the world to understand. I cannot be unified with everybody. It's not possible, because they refuse. They, they will never change, they will, and it's not, it's not that they're necessarily bad, maybe they aren't bad, but let's just assume they're not bad, they just don't want to change. They like what they do, they like the flavor of their life, they like the gang bang life, they like the drugs, they like it, they like it, they don't want to change. I was talking to some guy, one of our mentees, son of the faith, and I was, I was talking to him, and I was really feeling spiritual, and, uh, and he was just really bad. I mean, he'd sleep all around. He had, you know, he's terrible. He's terrible. He's terrible. He's terrible. He's awful. One, one more time, he was awful. And, and I was trying to, you know, minister to him, I thought, and I was saying, I know you didn't like your sin. He said, Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> he said, Oh, I had a ball. I said, You had, and I was, I didn't want him to say that. I wanted him to say, Oh, yes, it was horrible. He said, No, I loved all of that. He said, I decided to repent because I was wrong and going in the wrong direction, but I loved that sin was wonderful for a while. I thought that was the most honest statement. He decided he didn't want to be in the life he was in, and he wanted to get out of it. And he was the only one who could say, Lord, I'm sorry, and you're right. This may be fun, but it's not good for me. This may feel great. This may, this may, he saw something and he paid a high price for it, but I love this honesty. But th- listen to me, I don't care how, you, how, how hard this is to face, there are some people who will never make that change. They are stuck and they will have you stuck. I love this, communicate, but don't get stuck with people who refuse. Big word, refuse. The Last one, communicate with the goal of resolving the issue. Whenever you communicate, it's is to to bind the issue. I love the way verse 18 says it. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What that really means is if there is strife and division, mentioned in verse 15, and you try to resolve it, your goal should be, let's communicate with the goal to resolve this forever, bind it. We want to bind this issue. I know people use this verse for spiritual warfare, But I want you to understand that the real contextual meaning has to do with resolving conflict. It has to do with working with people. And there are people that they they come back and forth to issues over and over again. This is about coming together and solving it forever. Now, if you don't do this, Jesus made a profound prophecy about your life. He said, what's going to happen is you're going to end up fighting each other forever, and you will have two results. Number one, you'll be desolate, and number two, you will not stand. The word desolate means wasted and ruined. Jesus said himself, if you do not change, if you continue to stay in a divided state, if you never strike the ground together, if you never come together with others, what will happen is you will eventually be ruined and wasted. Here's what he said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. Listen to this. Go down to verse 25. Every kingdom divided against itself, not some. Every single kingdom. Look at the bold print I gave you notes, verse 25. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. That is a promise from Jesus. You will be desolate. You will not stand. It will fall apart. That is a promise. Now, that's not a pleasant promise, but that is the truth. How, um, how much desolation has already struck, struck your life? How much has already been destroyed? How much, how much, how much? How many times have you looked at your life and said, how in the world did it get to be this bad, this ruined, these children, It's because you're divided. If you're, you're, you're not careful, you're a bully parent <laughs> on your side of the river. And you, you don't really, really you, you can't even fathom that you could possibly be, a, be part of the problem. I'll talk about that in a minute, but that verse alone has driven me to want to work together. If you look at, Matthew 20, 12, 25 in the New Living Translation, NLT they call it. He says, "Any kingdom, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart." There's a story of a wonderful kid who was a pastor's kid, and this pastor's kid I've told this so many times that it touches me every time I think about it. She 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 wanted them after church, I said after church, right? To sit at the table together. And the father, she asked the father, would you sit at the table and eat with us? And he said, no, I don't feel like it. And this little girl took her plate and she went to the table and she sat down and she cried. And she said these words, my family is falling, this family is falling apart. When was the last time you sat at a table together and ate as a family, when's the last time you, cut the TVs off, and cell phones off, and just looked at each other. Are you more divided than you know? You know when I see this the most, funerals. <laughs> My job, I, I marry them and I bury them. And I'm telling you, I see the spectrum. I see grief, I see loss. And, and I, I notice that some of the most wonderful looking families, when you really zoom in close, they're not, they're not close. They're not unified. They don't attack problems together. They fight each other. And there are reasons why, and I want to give you five reasons why I think you fight each other. Five reasons why people don't stop fighting. The first one is they're offended, and they want justice. Somebody did something, so we we need to make sure we did it right. They can't get away with that, so we feel this obligation to strike justice—that's your job. God called you to do that. <laughs> Second thing is a need to righteously correct. Kind of like the Protestant and the Catholic wars in Europe. Those were bloody. I took a class one time just to kind of refresh myself a little bit, and I, I, it was a class on on history, and his uh, history, and it was really a great class because this guy is young professor, and uh, it was just exhilarating to read things I never knew. They killed millions of people. The Protestants were called Protestants um, because they protested the Catholic Church. And, and, I mean, you had countries, Spain, France, England. I mean, they were, they were if you were not, you were, <laughs> the whole country would declare, I'm Protestant or I'm, I'm Catholic, and they would fight over that. I mean, they killed 100,000 people. They slaughtered 100,000 people. I, I, I read some of the numbers, and I could not believe they killed this many people in the name of being righteous. That same spirit now is happening in the Islam side, in the extreme side. There's a, there's, a, there's a wide-ranging God movement to flush out the Christians and the other folks in the world. We haven't seen this since, one, one, one commentator says, since biblical times. At the rate, where I mean, when, is, when have you in your lifetime seen someone want to kill thousands of Christians? When have you seen that in your lifetime? That's what you see in the Middle East these days. <laughs> amazing, amazing trends, amazing changes in Iraq. I mean, this is amazing. And the world that we live in, a lot of that's rooted in the fact that people feel righteous indignation, a sense of righteousness. Be careful. When you feel like you need to righteously correct a person in the family and take them on and, and let them know who you are. Third thing that I think causes people to fight consistently is they feel that this is the fight that Jesus would fight. They, they feel they've heard from God. They, they know that Jesus would do what they're doing. You get, you get to start feeling like you represent God. You start getting this righteous thing get a couple of verses, sprinkle a couple of your thoughts in there, and hey, well, really it's more your thoughts and then you sprinkle a couple of verses in there. And that becomes your basis for being this angry, this long, this intense. You know, in the pastorate, I really had to arrest myself and, and, and make sure I don't get lost because there are times you just start thinking because you're the pastor, especially in my marriage, you know, that God is always speaking to me So when I talked to Diane, she should listen. You know, it's funny, one time we were talking and she said, I said, Diane, there are three things I want to show you that I believe are really important. And in conclusion, she said, is this a sermon? (laughs) How dare you say that to me under the anointing. (laughs) Get out, guy, come on, come on. I'm not saying there aren't righteous causes. I'm not saying there's not a time to stand up and declare what's right, but there's a real danger when you think you've got it all nailed down, that you and God are so close that you couldn't be wrong. Your, your summaries of the world are exactly the way it should be. Let me, let me tell you how I know you're wrong. Just because you don't have cross-cultural experience, cross-cultural experience changes your view. International experience changes your view. You, you, have to, you, you have to be dumb. You have to know what it feels like to be dumb. To be in a place that don't speak your language and you're trying to communicate. You have to learn what it's like for people to explain to you how your American approach can be offensive to them. You just have to be around people who love you, who will tell you that. Be, you're too loud and too pushy. Your, your definition of even interpreting scripture, one of the most profound theological discussions I heard ever, ever ran across was in that, in matter of fact, it's in Matthew 18, the same chapter we're in, where if a brother offends you, go to him and tell him. You would not process this the same way if you were in Japan, for example. You would not do this in the Middle East the same way. Something called saving face. You don't confront people. Americans read this and they think confront. Well, let me just tell you how I feel about it, and you just tell people. Now, in some countries, that's way wrong and way bad, really fast. You you communicate it, but you find a way to do it so that you save the person's face and you don't embarrass them, you don't humiliate them. But we interpret a lot of the Bible in an American context and in our own culture. And sometimes, wherever you come from, if you're African American, God's black. If you're white, he's white. If you're Asian, he's Asian. And you start interpreting God the way you see and process things. And I've learned that I, I'm not always right. I, I, I have to open my heart, and, and this, is what, this will help you, especially when you deal with, with people you're dealing with. And, and sometimes your husband is from another culture Your friends are from another culture. The people you're working with at this company, they're not like the last company. And you have the same kind of cost cultural fight. And you come in knowing so much and being so righteously right. I know how to get this company in shape. I know what to do and I'm here. That's why they hired me to fix everything. And yet there's no humility and there's no silence. You talk all the time. You dominate the meetings. You talk all the time. You just know everything. And before you know it, they look at you and you don't know why they don't like you. And you think it's the devil. See, you gotta be careful. You can assume anybody that doesn't like you is working for the devil. That anybody that doesn't want to promote you is evil and demonically inspired. Could it possibly be that you're hard to work with? There's a word in the old King James uh, called churlish. It Described a man named Nathan. And and he said that Nathan was married to a woman named Abigail and in the old King James they said he was a churlish man and the word childish means hard to work with, hard to communicate with, difficult. I, I know people sometimes just don't get it. They just don't get it. I, I see it all the time. I see people, they're sincere. And I see myself. I'm shocked at my ignorance. I'm shocked at how I can miss it. And my marriage has shown me. I, 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 I thought I was right. Raising my kids, I thought I did it right, but there were just areas where I just didn't understand. With money, I thought I was doing something right. I went into a business deal, and I had it all planned out, and I had all the numbers right, but I didn't come through like I thought. Well, what went wrong? It's because I didn't see everything. So you get so righteous, no one can reach you, and it's hard to unite with you. It's hard. Then if you're not careful, the fourth reason is another reason people fight. <laughs> not only because they think they're righteously right, but because ah, they, 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 they're around people who love to fight. They, they, that's the only thing they know. They're around people who love to fight. It's all about fighting. Their culture's been fighting. Their mama fought, daddy fought. They learned it early and it's part of who they are. Um, Archibald Hart r- writes about adre- being adrenalized or being trained to be away and, and basically he says that you can be so accustomed to the adrenaline of arguments and fighting and war and work and all that that you don't know how to stop because you're always going fast, 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 fast. And so you get, you get used to that. And so every few minutes, you look for the adrenaline rush. You'll start a fight to make one happen because you need it. There's something about the way you think and process that that becomes over, he calls, adrenalized. And you don't even see yourself. I, I was in a class with him. Um, and, and <laughs> It was a, a master's class and he was, he was our guest lecturer and I, we all, in, in this class, everybody had laptops and everybody was working while he was talking and he was just, and I don't know, the guy looked irritated, he just looked irritated and I, I just took a chance and said, can I ask you a question? In the middle of his lecture, he said, he said sure, I said, I said, are we bothering you? I did, I asked him. He said, absolutely. he said, you guys are not paying attention. You're you're so busy with these laptops typing notes and stuff. You're not, and and so you should see the whole room, everybody close their laptop. And for a moment, he says, he said, you don't don't do well when you multitask. It's been a study, he said, that you're 30% less effective when you're doing four and five things. You need to focus on one thing, then go to the next thing, and then go to the next thing. And his point was, we are so adrenalized, and we're so, we're always like this, we don't see ourselves, and we don't understand that that becomes what we get addicted to. And I think that translates over into this culture of fighting, and so that's all you know, and that's what you create wherever you go. You will always have an enemy. And it just made me think, back up. My wife asked me one day, she said, do you like, do you like this? It's a great moment for me. I thought, no, and she, but I'm, I'm always moving, and I'm always going, and I'm always, you know. And, and, and preachers, it can be horrible on Sunday night because he's up really high, and then he drops down. and he, It's called post-adrenaline depression. Say that with me, please, come on. Post-adrenaline depression. You know, you're really busy, you work hard all day, and you can be really mean after work. Really mean after work, really mean because you're just so adrenalized. And so I have to be careful. Temple, pull yourself in, sir. Make sure you're not like that. You're not one who causes division, creates it. Here's what Romans 1, 16 through 17 says. I urge you, brothers and sisters, watch out for those who cause divisions. Watch out for those who put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. Keep away from them. I don't want to be that kind of person that you have to stay away from because every time you're around me, I create some kind of division or issue over anything. Then this last one is probably the biggest one. The fifth reason why I think people end up fighting so often is because they don't see their part or contribution to the division. It's always somebody else's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. I have a little trick I use when I counsel people. You might want to try this. This is, I love it. When, when I talk to people and they come in and I'll say, tell me if they're talking about their job and the, the boss, i say, what would they say about you? Just for a minute, pretend you're them. Oh, them, what they would say? Oh, well. Um, well, they would say I come late all the time, but I told them the devil gets in my car sometime and it won't start. <laughs> <laughs> they have this incredible list of reasons. You need to learn to weigh out what people say about you and not critique it. Just analyze it. If you really want to be an awesome person, people who love you, ask them, say, What's hard about working with me? Is there anything about working with me this hard, what would you, and, and this, listen. And don't defend every point. I don't do that. That's not true. See, they, they'll stop talking. <laughs> I learned so much by letting people tell me. There's something about knowing your part. Another thing I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll ask them, tell me what you did wrong. What, what part did you play in this? Do you really think it's always somebody else? It's that reasonable. You've been in five relationships and they all say the same thing. Tell me, everybody's wrong? Nobody understands you? They all say you cheat. Is it true or not? Wondering guys? You don't pay people back, you borrow money? Come on, is that unfair? They don't want to loan you money, now you're offended? I thought you were my friend. No, my last $75 is still waiting. You can't be mad with me, you can't be offended, you can't, you can't. You make it hard to be your friend, and I, I've made it hard to be my friend. I've had to change ways. Yeah. I don't want it to be this hard to be married to me, or hard to follow me as a pastor. I don't want it to be like that. But it can be. What would happen? What would happen if we changed? How would, how would your life change? And how many new options would you have if you worked together instead of fighting each other? I'll tell you one thing that can happen. You'll be more effective. One last thing, and I'm done. Jesus made a promise. Uh, I'm sorry, Jesus did this in Leviticus. Um, God made a promise to, to Israel. He said this. Five of you, in verse 8, this is Leviticus 26 and 8, five of you will chase 100. A 100 a hundred of you will chase 10,000. And your enemies will fall by the sword before you. If you really want to see something happen, five of you get together, you you guys would really, really change warfare. But if 100 of you get together in this family, oh boy, amazing. Not one kid will not go to college. If 100 of you got together in this family, I mean, if just five of you got together, it could be great. Boy, if 20 of you got together. Imagine what that would be like. So here is a question. What do you do with this today? For a moment, you can just pull on the side of the road and stop and say, am I fighting the right person? If you're fighting each other, you're not. You'll lose. You will lose even though you may feel like you want a a moment of glory, an argument, a sword fight with the person. You said, I said. Take this, take that, but in the end, you lose. So let's pray. Father, today, we're thinking. Thinking hard, weighing it out. Is this the fight I need to fight? Is this the way I need to live? Is this your will for me to spend my life in strife Or maybe I just need to lay down these issues for a moment and unite with my wife, my children. Maybe tomorrow I'll go to work and I'll just kind of give the boss a break. Try to find a way to become part of the team, not a part of the complaint department. Maybe I'll just say thank you for a job, thank you for an opportunity. It's not a perfect place, but. Maybe I'll think of strategies that can make it better for everybody. Maybe I won't do all the talking in the meeting. Maybe I'll listen more. Maybe I'll call that kid I haven't talked to in a long time. Try to find a way to unite. Reunite. Maybe I'll call a parent that I've disrespected for many years and say, I can't go back and change everything, but I can tell you I'm sorry Anna. I appreciate your patience with me. And I may have burned all the bridges home, but at least you know I love you and I appreciate what you tried to do for me. Maybe that's the first step in the right direction. Maybe you'll really get a job and hold on to it this time. Maybe you really will walk away from drugs and maybe you really will say, this isn't helping me. This is the time to unite with people that can help us. So, Father, I pray as we leave today, lives are touched, minds are stirred, and we say, Jesus, I think it's time for me to fight on the same team. Lord, let this be a moment of healing and forgiveness. With every head bowed, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want you to see if this prayer applies to you. It's a prayer for people who say, "Jesus, I need to give you my life. I need to make a new start in my life. I need." To-